This is Sarah Anderson, and this week we continued our series on God's guidance. We talked about Gideon and his story and how God's guidance unleashes our identity and our anointing. I hope you enjoy. My name is Sarah Anderson, and I serve as the children's pastor here, and we are going to continue our series today on God's guidance. If you haven't heard the first couple messages in this series, go back, find our podcast, go back on Facebook, listen to them, because they were really amazing. So today we're going to be in the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7, which is the story of Gideon. Now, the story of God's guidance in Gideon is highlighted in a lot of ways, and we're going to hit on a lot of them. There's just so many good little nuggets in this story that I think I have like 10 points or something. So it's going to be fast. We're going to go through them really quickly. But the main point that I'm going to draw out today is that God's guidance unleashes our anointing, and it confirms and draws out our identity. Okay, so let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for every heart that is present in this room. Soften our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. We want to hear what you have for us today, God. As we listen to the story of Gideon, help us to see how it applies to our life. Start to whisper to us, God, our identity and our anointing. May we leave this room different than how we walked in. We love you. Amen. All right, so the book of Judges is a time in the history of the Israelite people, and they have been released from Egypt. Moses has led them out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've gone into the Promised Land. They've wandered the promised land. Moses has died. Joshua has taken over. Joshua has led them into the promised land. They've kind of established themselves as a nation. Joshua has died, and there's no real clear leader to take over for the Israelites. So they go through a period where God is just their leader. And the Israelites do well for a while, and then they kind of forget about God, and they start to worship the other gods of the other nations. And so God raises up a judge, and the judge comes and he kind of rescues them and pulls them back on track, and then they experience prosperity and peace again, and then they get complacent, and they forget, and they experience oppression from other nations, and it's just kind of the cycle that repeats over a period of about 300 years. So Gideon is one of these judges that God raises up. So where we start, we're going to start in verse 2, and the Israelites have been oppressed by the Midianites. And I'm not going to have the verses up on the screen because there's just a whole bunch of them. So if you have a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open that up to Judges 6 or, you know, a paper Bible, go for that too. So verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. 
They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Okay, so they became so impoverished, so oppressed that they finally were like, hey, maybe God could help us. Isn't that the way we all are? We get so oppressed that we finally turn to God. We hit rock bottom and we're finally like, oh yeah, God might be able to help us. So they are experiencing this period of time where they're doing all the hard work of planting the crops and tending the crops. And then when it comes time for harvest, somebody comes in and takes all of it from them. So they turn to God and God has mercy on them and God sends them a prophet and the prophet basically just reminds them. The prophet says, hey, God brought you up out of Egypt. He brought you up out of slavery. He brought you up into something better and you've turned away from him. What are you doing? There's so much better for you than this. And it's because you are worshiping other gods. You've turned away from your God. Then in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, so if you're like me, you don't know much about threshing wheat. Okay, my wheat comes packaged nicely, and I would say I get it from Kroger, but really I get it from the Instacart lady that delivers it to my front door. So I don't know a whole lot about the process of wheat. So I looked it up, and when you thresh wheat, what you're doing is you're separating the edible part from the inedible part, called the chaff, and the chaff is supposed to blow away. And you're supposed to do it in a wide open space called a threshing floor. And I have a picture of one, I think. So kind of a wide open space. And as you're doing it, the wind is helping you and it's blowing away all the parts that you don't need. So instead of Gideon doing that, he was down in a wine press, which looks like this. So he's kind of down in that dark hole where that ladder is. He's down inside there. The chaff can't blow away. There's nowhere for it to go. His, it's hard. Why is he doing it? Because he doesn't want the Midianites to come and take his wheat. He is oppressed. He is hiding. He's down in there. He's doing a job that he needs a lot of room for, and he's stuck in this tiny little dark spot. Okay. The, verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, this is just kind of comical. He is not mighty. He is hiding. He's hiding. He's not even brave enough to take on maybe the 10 Midianites that might come and try and take his wheat. And the Lord is saying to him, you are a mighty warrior. You are a man of valor. It doesn't describe his current situation at all. It probably doesn't even describe how Gideon views himself. Gideon's probably not down there hiding thinking, man, I am so brave. It doesn't describe his situation. So why does God say it? Why does God call him that when it doesn't match his circumstances? God says it because God sees Gideon as more than a man that's hiding down in a wine press. God sees Gideon as a mighty warrior. He knows Gideon's anointing. He knows Gideon's identity. And he sees him beyond his present circumstances. God sees Gideon as the mighty warrior that he created him to be. 
God sees beyond all of the gunk that kind of surrounds us and all of our circumstances, and he sees down to who we really are. And he says, hey, Gideon, you there. Yeah, the one that's shaking and hiding and scared and sweating, you're a mighty warrior. How does Gideon respond? Well, he doesn't even get to that mighty warrior part. He gets stuck on the first part where God says that he is with him. And Gideon goes, um, excuse me, verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon's kind of like, God, where have you been? What are you doing? You've left us. Now, God could have responded back to Gideon, well, actually, Gideon, it was kind of you guys. Like, I kind of told you what to do, and I provided the blueprint for everything you could do so that you could live in peace and prosperity for the rest of your life, and you guys kind of just didn't do it. God could have said that, but he doesn't. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God says, hey, let's not even talk about that. This is where we are and I'm sending you. You are mighty. You're going to go and save Israel. Verse 15, Gideon says again, um, excuse me, (laughs) pardon me, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon's like, um, (laughs) do you know who I am? Do you know what you're doing, God? Do you know what you're saying? I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. And within Manasseh, I'm from this clan, and this clan is not the best clan in Manasseh. And then take the clan down even further to my family, I am not even the greatest in my family. I'm not the smart one or the wise one or the strong one. God, do you know what you're doing? Guys, this is very typical. God's call oftentimes goes beyond what we feel like we can do or we feel like we are worthy of. If you feel like you've had a call of God on your life and you feel unqualified for it or unskilled or too worthy, you are in good company. Moses had the exact same reaction. Uh, God, what? Me? Are you kidding me? God, I think you're making a mistake. This is a good thing. If you feel unqualified, it's a good thing because guess what it means? means that you have to rely on God every step of the way. You can't do it in your own power, and so you're going to be turning to God at every twist and turn and saying, "Uh, God, are we still doing it the right way? (laughs) What do I do next? What's going on? You know, I have a call of God on my life, and... I don't feel qualified for it. (laughs) I don't feel skilled. I don't feel ready to do it. And it all kind of started about five years ago, and I was sitting in this room, and Wilson came up here, and Wilson started to share about a new class that they were going to do at the church called the School of Kingdom Ministry. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And worship started, and I just started to cry. And I turned to my husband, and I was like, Grant, I think I'm supposed to do that class. 
And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, why are you crying? <laughs> like, this is not a big deal. And I was like, I don't know, but I think I'm supposed to do the class. And he was like, okay. And he's like, then do it. Like, great. But I was in such a place. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I had three small children. And I spent my days like covered in spit up and going to play dates. And my like brain, I felt like it was only used for like, okay, what can my kid actually eat? What will they actually eat? And what can I do? I didn't feel like I could go into a ministry class. I didn't feel qualified to even take that step. But something was happening. Something was moving inside of me. And so at the end of service, I walked up to Wilson. He was right over here. And I didn't really know Wilson at that point. Now he's one of my good friends. We work together all the time. But then I didn't really know him. And I walked up to him and I said, Wilson? And he said, yeah. And I just started to cry. <laughs> he was like, what's going on? <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm supposed to do that class. And he was like, okay. He's like, I think maybe you are too, because God's clearly doing something, <laughs> you know, like, because my reaction didn't match what was going on. But even taking that step of taking the School of Kingdom Ministry felt really big to me, and I didn't feel qualified or skilled enough to do that. That even felt like a big step. But I trusted that God was doing something in my heart, and I stepped into that, and that was the first part of me stepping into this call that God has on my life. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I will be with you. That's how we do it. God is with us. This is the first point. God's guidance is ongoing. God's guidance isn't a one and done. He's not just going to say, hey, mighty warrior, go handle this, and then leave Gideon alone. God says, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right next to you, and we're going to go together, and together we're going to do this thing. Because he's all-powerful, he's almighty, he's all-knowing, he can do it with us. And now, the thing is, if you know Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he's with you all the time anyway. He's already with you. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. This is wisdom. Wilson talked last week about this, about testing prophetic words. And so all I'm going to say is make sure that you really have heard from God. Make sure that you're interpreting the word that you got from God correctly. And this happens in conversation between you and God, and it also happens in conversation between you and your godly community. This is what Wilson talked about. Verse 18, Gideon says, Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon goes off and he prepares an offering. And he prepares extravagant, maybe isn't the right word, but he prepares like an over-the-top kind of offering. He takes like half a bushel of flour and makes unleavened bread out of it. And he sacrifices a goat. And then he puts it all on this rock. He makes an altar for God and he puts it all on the rock. And he's like, okay. And guess what God does? He makes fire come up out of the rock and consume it. And at that moment, Gideon goes, oh my gosh, this really is God. This really is God. 
Now his offering was kind of twofold. It was an act of worship. He went above and beyond. He prepared so much to give to God. It was an act of worship, but it also was an act of confirmation, seeking confirmation, seeking to discern, was this really God? Verse 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the pole beside it. That same night, Gideon is responsive to God. God comes, God talks to him. Gideon's like, eh, I don't really think that's right. But let's find out if this is really you. He is responsive when he has heard God's, God speaking. And so God is responsive to that. That very same night, God comes and gives him the next piece of information. When we are responsive, God is responsive to that. God is responsive to our responsiveness. Okay, that's the next point. You know, God wants to see a willing heart. He wants to know that we're up for the challenge, that we're willing to step into the unknown. And when, he do, and when we do that, he comes along and gives us the next piece of the puzzle. Because we can actually block God's guidance. I've done it. I've seen it done. We can kind of say, oh, ooh, God, you know, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> or God, I'm not comfortable with that. Or actually, right now, I'm really comfortable where I am, Jesus, and so I think I'm just going to stay right here, and I don't want to take any more steps forward. Or even in worship. Sometimes I've been in worship, and I felt the presence of God start to fall on me, and I've resisted it. And I've said, mm, not right now. Maybe because I know I need to go check in at the kids' rooms right as soon as service ends and I don't have the time or capacity at that moment, but I've resisted the presence of God before in my life. But when we are able to step into it, when we lean into it, when we say, yes, God, this feels scary and weird and I have no idea how it's going to work, but I am here for whatever you have for me, he's going to respond to that. And his guidance is going to come. So God tells Gideon what he has to do. He has to go and he has to tear down these altars. And so Gideon goes and he does it. And we're not going to go into all of that, but just suffice it to say, sometimes we have to clean up some of the messes we've made to move forward in the plan that God has for our lives. And Gideon goes and he cleans up some of the messes. He, he's helping the Israelites get back in right relationship with God. Okay. Verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abizarites to follow him. Next point. God's guidance and help is timely. The spirit of the Lord did not come on Gideon until the valley had been invaded. Now, we live in a time where the Spirit of God has been poured out and it's inside of all of us. So we don't have to wait for the Spirit of God to come on us. Now, sometimes he comes on us in, in more power and it's more obvious. But back in that time, the Spirit had not been poured out. So the Spirit was restricted to certain places, certain times, certain people. Okay, so the valley is invaded and then the Spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon. Sometimes it feels like God's guidance comes just in the nick of time. 
And I don't really like that. I'm a planner. I would really, really like for God's guidance to come like a year in advance so I could adequately prepare for it and like mentally prepare and emotionally prepare and like put all my ducks in a row and be ready for it. But God just oftentimes doesn't work that way. It's usually like right when we need it, he's told Gideon like, hey, this is going to happen. And then after it's already happened, like they are coming, then the spirit of the Lord comes on, God, comes on Gideon. So Gideon, verse 35, he sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet him. Next point, when God is moving, it unites other people's hearts. Other people come. People came to help him fight. See, God isn't only guiding us. I don't exist in a vacuum. God was moving and guiding all those other people that came to fight with him. God is moving and guiding us, but he's also guiding everybody else. Not all of us are going to be called to lead the battle. Some of us are going to have to follow God's guidance to come and fight in the battle. Some of us are going to have to follow God's guidance to come and clean up after the battle. Some of us are going to have to follow God's guidance to stay home and watch the babies so other people can go and fight the battle. We all have a call of God on our life, and no matter what it looks like, it takes God's guidance. I got to tell you, staying home with little babies, that sometimes took more of God's guidance than anything that I'm doing now. There is not a call that is more worthy than others. They all need God's guidance. So God is moving in us. He's also moving in other people. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, hey, God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, well, look, Jesus, look, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Okay, he's out of the wine press now. He's on the threshing floor. I'm going to place this wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and the rest of the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, uh, hey, God, don't be angry with me, but let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let all the ground be covered with dew. And so that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Sometimes it can seem so improbable that God is going to use us that we seek confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. God had already confirmed it to Gideon when he made the fire come from the rock. I don't think that Gideon here was not trusting God. I think Gideon was not trusting himself. I also think that Gideon was in a place where he had been so oppressed he was probably hiding in one of the caves to sleep at night. He was hiding in a wine press to just get a little bit of food. I think he was so oppressed, probably malnourished, hungry, starving, dirty, <laughs> that he really found it so improbable that God was going to use him. Even after the Spirit of God came on him, even after all of these people came to help him, he still was like, hey, God, can we just like make extra doubly, triply sure, please? <laughs> can we do this? And God's like, yeah. Yeah. And so the, the fleece is wet, and then Gideon goes, you know, I didn't plan this very well because the dew probably would stick to the fleece more than the ground anyway. <laughs> so let's reverse it and do it again. And God's like, 
okay, okay. God responded with grace for Gideon, and he responded kindly. Now, when we're seeking confirmation that what God has asked us to do is from him, there, there are some things, and Wilson talked a little bit about this last week, but there are some things, that, some guidelines that we can go into it with. Like, so first of all, God's never going to ask us to do anything unbiblical, right? Things that are biblical, we probably don't need that much of a confirmation for, okay? Like, you don't need to say, hey, God, if I put my sock outside and it's wet in the morning, then I know that I'll be kind to my neighbor. We don't need to do that. God tells us, love your neighbor, Honor your parents, worship me. Like, hey God, if you make me wake up all on my own before I need to on Sunday, then I'll go to church and worship you. God's not gonna give you that, well, he might give you that kind of confirmation, but he doesn't really need to because it's written in his word that we are supposed to worship him, that we're supposed to love our neighbors. It's like driving down the road and you get to a green light, you don't need to look at the other drivers and have them wave you on because it's green, you're supposed to go. If we all looked for confirmation that we need to go on a green light, nobody would ever get anywhere. Okay, there are certain things in the Bible that are green lights. My husband and I went through a period of time where we were seeking, like we really felt like we were called to adopt. And I was asking God for a sign. And then somebody told me, hey, Sarah, God's heart is all about the widow and the orphan. It's in his word. If you're feeling those stirrings and it makes sense for your family, God's already given a green light in his word. I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) look at that. He wrote it out explicitly for me. Now, and some things are red lights. Hey God, if you make my husband do X, Y, and Z, then I won't kill him, okay? (laughs) That's a red light. Like we don't need to ask for confirmation. We're not supposed to kill people, okay? Like red light, God's not, we don't need God to confirm that, okay? But, sorry Grant, I love you. But there are things that are kind of yellow lights where it doesn't explicitly say in God's word, Gideon's going to fight the Eastern armies on this day and this time. Gideon's going to be the, the rescuer. Gideon's going to be the leader of the army. It doesn't say that in the word. So Gideon, it was kind of a yellow light. And so Gideon's asking for confirmation. And I think that's okay. So chapter seven, halfway there, Right. All right, early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, "Eh, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. 
So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. So I don't want to spend too long here, but this is a really cool part of the story. Next point, God's guidance isn't always logical. It is not logical to take on another army with 300 men. It's just not logical. It doesn't make any good sense. It just, it just doesn't make sense. But God didn't just want Gideon to get a victory. God wanted Gideon to have his victory. He didn't want there to be any doubt that it was God that was moving and God that was rescuing Israel. So the math works out to be kind of crazy here. 32,000 men down to 300, God didn't even leave him with 1% of the army. Over 99% of the army was sent home. That's crazy. The proportion that they were facing, every one of those 300 people, 300 men, were going to have to face 400 soldiers. So it's 400 to 1 odds. Now, there's a verse in Joshua, Joshua where it says that one man will conquer a thousand. So one to a thousand makes one to 400 sound pretty good. You know, it's all about perspective. But they had a big task in front of them. And Gideon, he did it. He followed what God said every time. He followed the illogical nature of God's guidance. Gideon was game. He was like, okay, God, that's what you say. I'm going to do it. He was willing to do it, willing to let God lead. Verse 9, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Next point, God's guidance is kind. God says to him, hey, if you're afraid, go do this. God wanted to encourage him. God acknowledged that Gideon was probably not feeling super confident about 300 men versus camels that are like the seashore, sand at the seashore. He acknowledged that this is kind of a scary thing I'm asking you to do. And so you're not asking me for confirmation, but I'm going to offer this confirmation to you. If you're afraid, go and listen to this. God is kind. This also circles back to God's guidance is ongoing. He's there for Gideon time after time after time. He was there when he called Gideon. He was there with the fleece. He was there with the fleece the second time. He was there when he was calling the group down. He was there when they called the group down again. And now he's there in this encouragement. Next point, God's guidance goes beyond what we can see or know. 
God's working both sides of the equation here. He's encouraging Gideon. He's shaping the army. He's making it everything that it needs to be. But God's also working on the imposing army. He's giving them dreams. He's preparing their hearts to be afraid of Gideon. And Gideon wouldn't necessarily have been able to see that, but God gave him a glimpse behind the curtain of how God was working in other areas. God's not only guiding us. God is putting things together in an intricate way. I like to think in this age that it's more God is softening people's hearts and God is preparing people's hearts for us to come and do the work that he is calling us to. But God's guidance goes beyond what we can see or know. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. Gideon's response to hearing that the other side was afraid of him was to worship. He didn't like puff out his chest and be like, oh yes, (laughs) I'm Gideon, the mighty warrior. Look at all these people that are afraid of me. He worshiped God. He knew where that identity came from. He knew the source of it. And so he worshiped. He recognized that it was God working on his behalf. It was God working on the behalf of Israel. And so he worshiped God. Our response to God's guidance should be to worship. That should be our first inclination. It should be our first act. God guides us and we worship right away. You know, it can produce kind of like a little thrill deep down in our bellies when we see God working through us. And it's this little thrill of like, oh my gosh, this is actually going to work. God's actually going to do it. (laughs) Look at this. And that thrill can go one of two ways. It can lead us into worship. We're like, God, you are so amazing. I just want to worship you. It is my honor to be included in this plan that you have. It is my honor to be used by you. It is my honor to serve you. And we turn the focus back to God and we worship him. Or that little thrill can kind of take us the other way and we're like, oh my gosh, this feels amazing to be used by God. And it kind of turns into pride and we start to seek the thrill and we start to seek that feeling rather than God. That's a dangerous thing. Our response to God using us and our response to God guiding us has to be to worship him. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. God's guidance, and side note, worshiping God, unleashes our anointing. Gideon steps fully into his anointing and into his identity as a mighty warrior at this point. He takes the time, he worships God, he says, God, this is for you. And then immediately he goes back and he's like, it's go time. Let's go. God's guidance has led him into this point. He comes up with this plan. 
It doesn't say in the text that the angel of the Lord came down and told Gideon, here's what you should do with your 300 men. It doesn't say that he had a dream. It says that he just told the army what to do. He stepped fully into his identity as a mighty warrior. He started thinking like a mighty warrior. He started to have spontaneous thoughts and wisdom and revelation about how he could win this battle. He stepped into it. Now, was the spirit of the Lord still on him? Yeah. Did the spirit of the Lord probably give him those spontaneous thoughts and wisdom and revelation? Yeah. But Gideon was stepping into it and he was starting to own it. And everything starts to take shape at the exact right time. God likes us to participate. God doesn't want to give us every single thing laid out all in order. First, you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this. And oh, by the way, don't forget to do this. God likes us to participate. He made us living, breathing, thinking, smart human beings. He likes to interact with us. He likes us to put our own flavor on things. So I think God kind of stepped back a little bit and was like, go. You're a mighty warrior. Let's see what you do. I've set the stage. I've prepared it. I've called this up out of you. Have some fun. What do you want to do, Gideon? What makes sense? And Gideon steps into that, and he's like, this is what we're going to do. Verse 17, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. God's guidance leads us into his place in the kingdom. Now look at this. Gideon tells them, shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is the moment, I think, where he steps fully into acknowledging, yeah, I'm a mighty warrior. I don't think this was pride on his part to have everyone shout, all 300 men shout, for Gideon. (laughs) This was him acknowledging, hey, I'm a mighty warrior, and God has placed me in this position. It is my job and my duty and my responsibility to lead these men, and so I'm stepping fully into it. He also knew that the other armies were afraid of him. He knew that his name had some name recognition value. And so he was, it wasn't pride on his part to say that. It was stepping into what God had for him. If God tells you that you're righteous, it's not prideful to say that you're righteous. If God tells you that you're a mighty warrior, then it's not prideful to say that you're a mighty warrior. Gideon stepped into his place in the kingdom of God. He stepped into his identity, and he's like, yeah, for the Lord and for Gideon, we're going for this. And they did. Way back in the wine press, Gideon was a warrior. God saw it. That was Gideon's identity. I think God was more interested in Gideon stepping into his identity and Gideon stepping into his anointing than God was, I mean, God was worried about the Israelites, of course. But 
I think he was more worried about shaping Gideon and pulling that out of Gideon. And I think that's the heart of this story, is God shaping Gideon and calling that out of him. I almost picture it like the mighty warrior was in there and it was covered up by the oppression and the malnourishment and the fear and probably the anger, the disappointment, the disillusionment, it was covered up. And with each confirmation, with, as each step of the plan was becoming clear, those are slowly being stripped off. God's shaping him. Look what's underneath all of this. Look, it's there. We all have an anointing in the kingdom of God. We all have an identity in the kingdom of God. We all have a place of courage. We all have something we need to step into. Maybe right now it's covered up with shame. Maybe right now it's covered up with addiction. Maybe right now it's covered up with a sin that you're stuck in. Maybe right now it's covered up in me, God? Surely not me. But God looks at us and he calls out who he created us to be. And he's going to be with us and he's going to guide us. Verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with swords, and then they fled. God's guidance leads us into victory. We can walk in victory when we are following his guidance for our life. So would you stand with me? Put your hands on your heart. Jesus, thank you for the anointings and the identities that are in this room. God, I pray that you would start to whisper those to us, that our hearts would start to resonate and respond to that. God, I pray that you would highlight to us wherever we are hiding down in a wine press wherever we're hiding away, wherever our actions and our thoughts and our mentalities don't match up with what you have for us, would you start to show us? Thank you, Jesus, that you lead us into victory, that you're going to be with us every step of the way, that you are kind, that you are gracious, that you're compassionate, that you're loving. I thank you for everything that this room of people is going to accomplish in the kingdom of God. I thank you for the intimacy that they are going to have with you as they walk on that, on that path. We love you, Jesus. Amen.